you have your Bibles with me, go to the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. And uh, as you're turning there, what we're going to do this morning is a little bit different. We're going to give you some teachings on, on mothers and motherhood. And hey kids, y'all have a good time at Children's Church today. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, Barry, y'all behave. All right. I love it, man. Uh, you know what we get? This already has me distracted. You know, we have a lot on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings. We can't have a Bible study class. We can't go through a church service. We can't have a Bible study without hearing kids. Some of y'all that just need to get right. Y'all the ones that do this. Looking where the baby is. If somebody does that, you have the ability to just smack them and let them turn back around. But seriously, we praise the Lord for the sound of babies. Amen. Let's, let's give Jesus praise. The Bible tells us, ladies, that children are a gift from the Lord. And Trish, as you prayed, every single one of us has one thing in common. That we, we have a mother and we want to honor that today. And we want to, to lift high the name of Jesus and do that by honoring our mothers. Now, what we don't want to do is engage in mother worship. We love our mothers. There are probably those of you here this morning and you say, Jeff, my mother was like an angel of God. I mean, not like the death angel in the Old Testament. Like, like, I mean, she was just like an incredible blessing. She was there for us and she fed us and she listened to us and she, she spanked us when we got out of line and she was just an incredible, incredible woman of God. And then there, I've lived long enough to know that in many churches we give the 1950s Mother's Day sermon to where At the end of the sermon, people think that all mothers are equal with Jesus and that no one has ever grown up in a home to where mom. I was, I'm just going to say, when I was a youth minister, I, I came to grips with the fact that not only are there many young men and young women who were raised without their father, But there are many students, young people today, maybe many of you, and you look back upon your childhood and you feel out of step with everyone else because you say, when I look back, my mom was one of the most cruel people that I can imagine. And I'm not trying to kick my mom to the curb. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. She was just an evil person. And Mother's Day is difficult for you. The same way that Father's Day is difficult for some of you if your father has not been the man that he should be. So when we go into this message today, we're going to look at some verses and give some application points. We're going to reverse it today on how we should deal with mothers, the good mothers and the bad mothers. And then we're going to look at the story of a lady named Hannah from 1 Samuel. But I just want to let you know that your pastor knows, and even if you're a guest with us here today, God knows that not every family and not every childhood is textbook, everything's okay. Y'all all right? 
We're not gonna, we're not gonna try to paint a whitewashed tomb and say that everybody has had a great day, that everybody has had a great life, that everybody's had a great childhood because some of you have had horrific childhoods and horrific family experiences. But I want to let you know one thing that the Bible does teach is that God is in control of all of that. And God, there are things that happens through our lives that God can bring something great from. He will use the brokenness of your life He will use the night that you cried yourself to sleep. He will use the times where you were disillusioned. He will use the times where you were angry at your own mother. He will use that to form you into the character of Jesus Christ. If you respond to his grace that he gives you. But with that being said, we do see a trend in our culture that is trending towards disrespect. Have you noticed that? And what we want to do here at the start of this message is to defend mothers... And to let those of you in here today that treat your mothers in an ungodly and in a dishonoring way. And I'm 33, my generation, and especially lower. It seems like respect for elders, which is a biblical concept. It's not old school, southern American. The Bible teaches that. To let you know what you're headed for if you don't turn to Jesus Christ. And this is not the way to get people to come back to church, but at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we believe God's word, and we believe that Jesus loves sinners. And I am a sinner, and you are a sinner. He loves us enough to give us the truth. So there towards the, the last part of your listening guide, there in your bulletin, we're just going to walk through this very quickly. Number one, the Bible teaches us, children, honor your mother, even if you don't agree with everything that she does. Notice that the verse is listed. There is no asterisk that says to honor your mother only when she is doing everything that you agree with. Exodus twenty twelve says, honor your father and your mother and your days may, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 3 says, every one of you shall revere to really honor his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. You see, the Bible catches a lot of flack from people who read the Bible for what they want to see in it. For example, if you have heard people say before, the Bible is down on women. Nothing could be further further from the truth. The Bible actually, if we could understand the original context that it was given in, elevates the role of women to one of honor and dignity and respect. In much of the ancient world, ladies, if you had lived there, you would have been considered as part of your husband's property, that and just more. To the point that when we talked about divorce, Jesus' teaching on divorce, there were two schools of thought of the day. One said that if your wife actually burned the food, that was biblical grounds for divorce. The other said it had to be for something like marital infidelity. But if we read the Bible properly, not only are fathers to be honored by children, we are to honor our mothers as well. Not only are we to honor them, but Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. A good mother, you should, if she tells you anything other than become a meth dealer and a crack cocaine addict, obey her for the glory of God. Y'all are right. Just obey her out of love and out of respect. Don't be, especially guys, don't be that sniveling jerk that tries to exercise his manhood by disobeying his mom. I mean, really. Think about it. 
If you think you're tough, especially teenage college guys, and you're doing your, you're, you're, you're exhibiting how bad to the bone you are by being a jerk to your mom, you're a loser. You are. Totally and completely. And today, if that's the reality in your life, you need to come to repentance and begin to obey and respect your mother. Number three, verbal or physical violence against your mother will bring God's judgment. Exodus 21, 15 and 17. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be, again, verse 17, shall be put to death. Leviticus 29, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. You say, man, that is hardcore. Let me give you another one. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 11, the Bible says there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Proverbs thirty seventeen: the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That is tales from the crypt from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs twenty twenty: if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Simply put, cursing and doing physical and relational violence, even physical violence, yes, to your mother is a sure sign that you are going to hell. Because if you do not honor your mother and your father, who gave you your mother and your father? You didn't. I didn't choose mine. God gave us our mother and our father. Not only that, but if you are trying to humiliate your mother, it will bring God's judgment. Leviticus 18.7 refers to uncovering the nakedness of your mother. You say, now Jeff, why, why does this, like this embarrassment thing, this propriety thing, why is that such a big deal in the Bible? Why is the Bible so harsh? I mean, good night. In the Old Testament, you could be put to death for simply cursing your father and your mother. Well, if you study history at all, you'll know that civilization is actually a rare thing. C.S. Lewis says that civilization is something that we have to work hard to get. Have you noticed how easy it is for civilization to break down? Think Katrina. Once the big storm hit, once the infrastructure went down, once the power went out, There are social scientists that will tell us that we may look at people here in America in the third world and say, man, those people are crazy, rioting and doing all that. I have a friend who serves as a missionary in Africa, in Africa, in South Africa. And he says there are riots all the time. He says it's an absolute bloodbath on a daily scale. He says, Jeff, and he's a big dude. I mean, he's the type of guy that you're thinking, if I want to mug someone, I'll choose everyone but not him. He's one of those kind of guys, he's like, we have gates with barbed wire, then we have gates on the inside, then we have another gate with a German shepherd who runs free, and then I carry a machete. He teaches Bible classes with a machete. You'd do better on your quizzes then, right? Like he's, he's packing, man, old school sword style. And he's saying that, you know what, Jeff, he says, I'm from Colorado, and he says, I don't care what people say. He says, when the system shuts down, and people can't get basic access to basic needs. He says people will turn into animals here just as they will over there. The world in which the Old Testament was given 
It was a world in which rape, in which depredation of slavery, slaughtering your enemies, where no quarter was given. It was an absolutely cruel world, devoid of God's word. And so God gave these laws to civilize the people to some degree. Every law reflects the culture, does it not? Lawmakers don't just give a law for no, well, maybe some do, but a law always reflects something that's going on in the culture. So the point of God giving these laws was reflective of ancient Near Eastern culture and really basic human nature that we are tend, we have the tendency and we are prone to be selfish and destroy other people with our words or with our hands. Proverbs 15, 20 says simply that you're a fool if you treat your mother like trash. The Bible says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. If you despise your mother, it's not Mr. T, it's not 1982, not Rocky Three. I pity the fool type of fool. It means you're an absolute, complete moron, devoid of sense, and destruction is what you have to look forward to. That's what the Bible says when it speaks of a fool. Not only that, but if you push your mother away, if you emotionally distance yourself if you cut your mother off from your life as if to say get the Hades out of my life mom the Bible tells us in Proverbs 1926 he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach it means that you are an a1 class loser and God will not bless your life aren't you glad you came to Mother's Day at Rocky Mount Baptist Church You're just taking notes like crazy. I can see it all over the room. Not only that, but here's a peek into the window of hope for those of you who say, Jeff, I love my mama. But she has passed on. Let me give you a verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. And it says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Regardless if she has passed on through death, regardless if she has rejected you while she was still living, the Lord will take you in. He is the great father. He is the great protector. He is the great provider. And if you're here and you say, Jeff, I have young children and my mother was a horrific, terrible, evil example of what a mother should be. But I don't want to be that. For the glory of God, come to him with your broken heart and allow him to heal you. And you can be the opposite of what your mother was. And something that's helpful too, if you have disagreements with your families, isn't it sometimes interesting how easily we disagree with our families? How, how legalistic we are with our families? Something to remember is that no mother or no family is perfect. Amen. King David reminds us in Psalm 51 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity or sin, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Not only that, but let's talk about when your mom gets old. When she gets old, here's Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen, sometimes people have to go to homes and that's the best place for them. But shame on you if your mother goes into a home and you check out. I'm a pastor. I see this all the time where I go into the nursing home and I see people and they have Pictures, sweet ladies, men who have worked with their hands and worked hard. And they've got pictures of their family. But do you know how few times, and I've been at all times, day, evening, later on. Do you know how few people sometimes go visit their mother or their father when they truly need it? When they get senile, when dementia sets in, 
that can be incredibly brutal for the family. You don't know how to respond, but do not forsake them. They are in their hour of need, and you should be there. Not only that, but God's grace is available to those grieving their mother who's died. Psalm 35, 15 says, I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one laments. Notice he says grieve, but lament is even more. One who laments for his mother, I bowed down in mourning. Let God heal you. And then finally, ladies, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. It tells us that the greatest gift you could give to your children is to point them to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that you could possibly do is to speak Jesus into their life. If you have your Bibles open, let's go to 1 Samuel. And we're going to walk through this historical narrative. I just wanted to give that to you up front because I know sometimes people come in and by the time that the sermon is over, they check out. And ladies, I just wanted to come to the defense what the Bible says about the respect of mothers. And let's go to it from the mother's perspective. In the Old Testament, we have this picture of this lady named Hannah. There in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And she, ladies, she had to share her husband. He was not a spiritual leader. He married two women. So obviously he wasn't an intelligent man either. And he's there. He has these two women. Imagine you're Hannah. The other woman you have to share your husband with, her name is, is Peninnah. And, and she had children. And in that day, it was reversed. In that day, if you didn't have children, it was a shame. Today, if people have more than maybe three or four kids, we look at them weird. Shame on us. God opens and closes the womb. God gives children. He gives life. He takes life away. But boy, maybe maybe we Christians ought to maybe take a step back and change our mind about children till we stop looking at them as burdens and we start looking at them as blessings. And we dedicated two precious babies here last week. And when our young families, when they conceive again, and if they conceive again, and if they have three, four, five kids, you don't feel like, oh, well, Y'all know how that works, right? I've heard people say that to families who have kids. I'm, and one lady, she's in South Carolina. She's got a large, they've got like nine kids. Some of y'all are just like, yeah, they've got nine kids. And she's had even family members come to her and say, Why, how can y'all have so many? And she said, or her last one that she gave birth to, she says, I was not in a good mood. But she said, you point at which one and tell me which one you wouldn't want to be here. Smackdown. You talk about feeling like a jerk and stupid at the same time. So here's the thing. Look, some people have kids. Some people don't have kids. Some people cannot have children. But in our culture, it's been reversed to where if you have a lot of children, you're the weirdo and the wacko. May it be that we celebrate every birth and we encourage that. And when young families have children, we do everything we can to keep them sane. The parents, that is. So if you're a Christian, you've adopted a secularistic, humanistic, really a communistic mindset in regards to the family, leave it here today and begin to celebrate life and stop looking at children as burdens. Look at them as potential world changers for Jesus Christ. 
But you see, Hannah, she was in a different culture, ladies. And in her culture, she was an absolute shambles emotionally because she was ashamed that she could not have children. And to make it worse, to make it worse, it says, the Bible tells us in verse number 7 of chapter 1, so it went on. Let's back up to verse 6 to take it in context. And her rival, in other words, the other woman her husband was married to, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah, what? Wept and would not Eat. And guys, here is one way that the Bible can help you not be more dumb in our relationships. Notice what he did here. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Well, for one, I'm barren. For number two, you married another chick. And she's a jerk. And number three, she's tormenting me like a mosquito and a tied down person because I can't have babies. That's why I weep. And then he goes further. He says, and why do you not eat? You know, ladies, she wanted to punch him in the mouth. And why is your heart sad? And she's thinking, do you not notice? And here's where it really gets bad, guys. Notice what he says. Am I not more to you than ten sons? What a jerk. What a lack of a spiritual leader to where not only he married two women violating what God had set up, one man, one woman for wife, just because they did it in the Old Testament, did it make it right. And it is indicative of us today as well, where we'll obey some of God's commandments and not others because of convenience. And here she is in her heart thinking, I want a child. I want a baby. There is no husband There is no situation, there is no sacrifice that can fill that void in my life. And on top of that, she is being provoked. She experienced, ladies, the heartache of being married to a man who was not a spiritual leader. Yes, they went to sacrifice. That's what it says there in verse 3. Every year, he brought them to do the religious thing, but apparently there wasn't the gospel or the word of God that was permeating their house. She knew the heartbreak of being barren. Some of you ladies have experienced the heartbreak of having a miscarriage. Some of you more than likely say, Jeff, I, I pray, I want God to give me a son, to give me a daughter, but it hasn't yet happened. And that feeling of depression and brokenness. Now go with me further. Um, to there in verse 13 and 14. But before that, we see that Hannah was dealing with barrenness and she was dealing with relational conflict at home. But not only that, in verse, let's go to verse 9 rather. At church, notice, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She goes in, ladies, she's to the point to where she goes into the church building a tabernacle there and in verse 11 and she vowed a vow and said O lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son then i will give him to the lord all the days of his life and no rager shall touch his head that was their way of dedicating their child totally to the work of god and she comes to the point of brokenness before god to where she's praying And then she committed 
to the Lord. Now notice what happened there as you go a few verses past that. In verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart. She's, she's there. And only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, the priest, took her to be a what? A drunken woman. But notice he doesn't just keep it to himself. This is, this is probably the chapter of the most guy mistakes in one chapter in the Bible. Notice what he does. This is crazy. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Time out. Ladies, you are Hannah. You are barren. Your husband's married to another woman. He doesn't get any of it. The other woman is tormenting you spiritually and emotionally. And you go to the house of the Lord and you kneel down in brokenness. And you have so much on your heart that all that is moving is your lips. You're crying out to God from your heart. And the leader of that, let's say the pastor, comes and he looks at you and he concludes that you have been knocking back on grandpa's old cough medicine. And he comes to you and he says, you had one too many, huh? I think some of our ladies in Franklin County would say, you know what? This reminds me that I do have a concealed permit. <laughs> and that pearl handled 25 or that ivory handled 38 is in my, in my purse, which for some ladies, their purse is a weapon in itself. And they could swing it just like David and take Goliath's head off. No need for a rock. Now, I I'm not a lady. I've never been through this. But ladies, some of you may have, for the exception of being married with another woman in the home. But all of this culminating and building to where even the spiritual leader is an incredible jerk. You know what the tendency for us, guy, girl, man, woman, is to react and let them have it. To drop the hammer. But notice what she says in verse 15. Look at this humility. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been... Notice the imagery here. Not that she has taken in intoxicating beverages, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She came to the point to where she was broken. And she said, God, if you give me a child, I will commit that child to you. And if we read further, you see there in verse number 18. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. She's humbling herself before even a spiritual leader who doesn't get it. And then notice here, ladies, then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. You know what? She had every reason to be angry at the world, but instead she allowed all of that brokenness in her life to lead her to the feet of the Lord. And she prayed to God. And then in verse number 19 and 20, she conceived a son. And verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So ladies, here it is. It's a positive pregnancy test. Crazy hands dance. And then you, you go to your husband and you say, I'm expecting, I'm expecting. And he's like, he probably said something dumb then too. The Bible just doesn't include it. And so she, she goes the nine months, ladies, and she gives the, she gives birth. 
and she has a little boy. I mean, this is it. She has gone through relational drama at church and at a home, and she's suffered rejection, and she doesn't have anyone apparently in the picture who understands. And I try to learn from our godly ladies. And I think one thing that all of us guys could do well is to try our best to ask wisdom from God, whatever relationship we're in, especially if you're in a marriage relationship, to say, God, give me the ability to try and ask questions and let her know, even I don't understand how you feel, I care about who you are, you see. So this is it. So she's going to buy the little boy, the little boy outfits, you know, when you have kids that are dressed up. Sometimes, guys, our mamas dress us up like the daughter she never had, right? Let's just, let's just be honest, right? And he got those pictures. And so, and so that's like, she's so excited. She's a new mother. And then and in chapter two, we're not going to go through this, but it's entitled Hannah's prayer. It's more like a song, like a sermon, man, where she's throwing down preaching, like he's given me a son. So you just, you just envision it, right? Ladies, you envision raising your little son and him learning how to say mama and dada and learning how to eat food and saying things fun but yet there was something different in this than is in other family relationships she had said God I vow to you that when you please don't miss this when you give me what I've always longed for I will give it right back you see what happened she said God if you give me this child That I have wept for and been hurt because I've been barren and suffered the emotional trauma of being made fun for something that I have no ability to deal with. Yet when you give me this child, I will return this child to you. So God delivered her. Her prayer was answered. And then what she did, she sacrificed for God. She literally gave away Everything that she had prayed for. And ladies, this is something from the word of God. That he gives you your precious children. Not just for your own happiness or benefit. But he gives you your children so that you can point them to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be interesting? For some mothers and you have this. This idea envisions where you're going to raise your children and you're going to live around family and they're going to be able to live close once they have their families right. Everybody would love for that to happen. And your children will, will, will listen to you. And yet God places a call upon your son, your daughter's life. And the call of God is to do something through that child that no one in your family has suspected. Here's a question for our sweet ladies today. Are you willing to support? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, if God calls your son or your daughter to do a job that you never envisioned them doing? What if your son or your daughter said, you know what, mom, dad, what God is calling me to do is to move to a big city and go work with inner city kids. That's my life's work. Mom and dad, God has called me go like Doug and Ann and go overseas to bring the gospel into hot regions, into sometimes unsafe regions, but he has placed a call upon me to bring the gospel to people who don't have it. Would you be willing to give up what God has given you? 
And notice the freedom in Hannah's life. And if you've read your Bibles carefully, you know that Samuel became the greatest prophet there. He is the one who ushered in King David. He is, in a sense, the one who mentored King David. And could it be, ladies, that the reason why God has given you your son or your daughter or your sons and your daughters, multiple, he gave them to you not so that you could be happy, but so that you could train them to go into the world, whether that's here, whether that's out there, and make a difference for Jesus Christ so that you know that God has not just put you here to build a family, but He's put you here, He's given you a family so that you can build the kingdom of God. And you're going to support that because you love Jesus. But sometimes what we see in the church is ladies, and you have your family, and you say, I love them, they give me security, I want to keep them close. Well, that's great if God has called them to be close, but what if he's called them to go far away? Never underestimate God and what he can do through one life. Whenever I see our students, and thank you, Stephanie, for giving that testimony of our students doing all that work yesterday at that camp. Whenever you see these little kids, and even the baby in here, I don't know where, that keeps... I'm glad somebody communicates back and forth with me when I'm preaching. And, and, and we, we go back in the nursery and we see that. Those are not rugrats. Those are not just kids that sometimes get up and whatever they put down in the morning, it comes up and somebody's out there scrubbing, right? These are not just kids that need diapers cleaned. These are future men and women. If the Lord changes their heart, if we pour into them, who will change this world for Jesus Christ. That's why every single young person here, I don't care how old you are, you have the mentality of Hannah to say, Lord, you have given us our students. And I just think for a moment, this is the final illustration here, about the praise band. I mean, do y'all see all the collection of ages up here? You see that? Well, you've got students in high school. We've got people like Fred and Lee in their early 40s. And not only that, but when you look at the choir, you see this smattering, this collection of ages. You know what that is? You know what it's an illustration of? Especially musically. You've got, I mean, every different style of music in it. And it comes together for the glory of God. Listen, ladies, when you think about the impact of every person that's had an impact upon you, they had somebody pour into them, and God has chosen you to be that child's mother and father. You say, Jeff, but he's 80, H, 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 D, 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 and it's just like it's, and I can't get him to pay attention. Listen, you should praise God for a quote-unquote hyper child. Our culture thinks there's something wrong with a child who has energy. That's called healthy. A lot of y'all disagree. (laughs) There's a fine line between tearing the house down and having a healthy amount of energy. We know that. But I please, please, I'm pleading with you. As a church, don't underestimate your impact on these children and these students and these college students that we have and grandparents and moms, mamas, please don't underestimate the impact even if you didn't do it when they were young, the impact that they know what you were like before Jesus saved you. They knew you were, they knew you were a piece of work, to use our phrase from last week, but now they see the change that Jesus has done in your life. So now when you speak, you speak with one who has authority because they see the change. Don't think that your children are too old for you to speak life into them. Never underestimate the impact that you can have because God has placed you to be their, their tutor, their mom. Oh, what a precious thing. Every great man and woman of God throughout the centuries 
has had someone pour the word of God into them to pray for them and love them and warn them. And our mothers, we pray that that's the reality in your life. If you say, Jeff, you know what? I've not really done that with my family. Today is the day to commit your life to pour into your children not just good food, not just keep the Skittles out of their hands, but to pour into them Jesus Christ, to passionately pray for them and to love them. And for the mothers, you say, Jeff, I do that, but my children seems right now that they don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. They are the opposite of Samuel. Why don't you just say, God, I can't change their heart, but I will continue to pray for them.